0: live there we go (laughs) ladies and gentlemen we did it facebook live this was supposed to happen at two o'clock mountain time three o'clock nashville time but it didn't happen because there was a technical snafu my name is keith stubbs welcome to dry bar live with me right now is a dude that i have not well we're not even in the same room now but i worked with many years ago on the road as a stand-up comic we got the legend of jeff allen jeff how you doing man? doing uh, great
1: uh quarantined and doing fine
0: how long have you been in lockdown? Pardon? How, how long have you been locked down?
1: Oh, I, you know, believe it or not, I, I, I play golf three days a week, so I, I can't complain.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'd love to sit here and try to play victim, but, you know, uh, it's, uh, it's, it hasn't been that. Tammy said to me the other day, my wife, she said, your life really hasn't changed much other than the fact that you're just not traveling, you know. <laughs> <It> <laughs> so let me ask you a
0: question. Are yeah, there um, when you go out and you golf? Are there restrictions to yes. to the way things are handled? What what differences there now? Well, we can't the leave the
1: parking lot till ten minutes before our tee time. Uh, the driving range is closed. The putting green is closed, and the flags are permanent. And the cup is only about an inch deep, so you don't have to dig into a cup and rattle around. So no one's touching the flags, and and we have to take pictures for our wives to prove that we're, uh, we're, we're social distancing. We don't hit the ball near, near the fairway anyway. We're always in the woods looking for the ball. <laughs> <laughs> are,
0: you, uh, are you walking or using the cart?
1: I'm walking. So, as a matter of fact, the city of Nashville is going to be a lot healthier after this because, uh, first of all, if you're going to take a cart, they're only allowed one person per cart, so they don't have enough carts for everybody. So half the, half the people have to walk anyway. And I'm seeing guys walk that I, I've never seen walk.
0: Uh, yeah, so I know I'm seeing people walk in my neighborhood. I didn't know they had legs. And then I look out the window, <laughs> Sarah, I look out the window and there's people just going everywhere, which is, I think good, right? That part yeah. of it's really good. Uh, being told to do it is a different situation, but right. it's overall healthy. Do you, uh, do you measure your steps or do you try to measure the amount of, uh, exercise you're getting, or you just do your thing?
1: Well, Tammy bought me a Fitbit years ago so she can monitor my movement. Um, <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't understand the, but it, it, there's something about it. Just looking at the end of the day and going, well, I walked 22,000 steps in a day and I went nowhere, you
0: know? <laughs> but I'll, I'll tell you this though. I, I do measure my steps on a daily basis, Jeff. And I'll tell you, I look on it and sometimes I'm shocked at how few steps I've taken. And that does motivate me to at least do something at least kind of, yeah. okay, I'm going to go take out the trash now and go outside. So at least I'm, I'm clicking a few steps.
1: Well, you do. I can remember Tammy, uh, when she was just working in the yard one day, putting in over 18,000 steps, just working in our yard, going back and forth from the garden and doing things. So it's an interesting thing at the end of the day. You kind of look and you go, well, I did, I did move around a lot. My favorite thing is uh, I, I, I bought an Apple Watch so that I could circumvent Tammy monitoring my movements. And um, <laughs> uh, they wake, it wakes me up to tell me to breathe. So <laughs> I had to quit wearing it at night while I slept.
0: <laughs> Jeff Allen, uh, where are you now? Are you in Nashville?
1: Yeah. Well, yes, uh, we live in a, a suburb of Nashville. Yeah.
0: And uh, how are, how is Nashville handling all this? I saw some of the specials that Garth Brooks and uh, Brad Paisley, and those guys are doing is, is Nashville's a good town. I mean, it, they seem there's like, there's yeah. a nice sense of community there.
1: It is. It's in uh, the, 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 tough part was we had that vicious tornado probably yeah. two weeks before this whole thing became locked down. So you got part of our community dealing with that tragedy. And then, um, this, uh, kind of took everything off the front pages. So, uh, I was kind of reaching out to people going, Hey, don't forget about the tornado victims. Let's, you know, don't forget to send them money and, and goods and, and things. Um, uh, so, but it is—it's a wonderful. Uh, uh, we really love Nashville. It is. It, you're it, the word community is a good word. It's a good community. Yeah.
0: It, it's a—it's a great area. I've spent some time there. I used to do radio, uh, country music radio. So I would go oh, out wow. to the CMA Awards yes. and all that stuff. And the best chicken I've ever had in my life is at Hattie B's. Hattie
1: B's. Yeah. Uh,
0: is it now? Are you guys tired of it? Because every time I go there, I got to get all over it. Are, are you, are oh, it's you like trying to get
1: on? tired of Krispy Kreme? Are you kidding me? <laughs> you <know? laughs>
0: There's no way. All my friends, whenever they go to Nashville, I said, dude, you got to go buy Hattie B's. And I'm from the yeah. South. I'm from South Carolina. I know what good chicken tastes like. Oh, and man. That, right. that, that Hattie B's in Nashville is just the best, man. Yeah. Hot chicken. Yeah, it's the best. So, Jeff, how are you handling all of this? You're golfing three days a week, so it seems like a true struggle. Uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> well someone's got to do it. That's right. So how are you handling that? Are you sleeping in more? Are you on some kind of a schedule have you if you figured out a way to 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 try to keep your life as normal as possible or is it just blown to smithereens?
1: Well, um sleeping in and I, I have been sleeping in late uh, almost to eight o'clock most mornings now. Oh, that, that's um, impressive yeah when eight? you're when you're used to getting up at 3 thirty to catch flights. <laughs> Yeah, making it morning, <laughs> like you wake up and you figure half the day is shot. I might as well stay in my pajamas. <laughs> but uh, got- I, I really am dying to get back out and work. Uh, my wife pointed out to me Saturday. She said, "This is the first time in our entire marriage you've been home thirty straight days."
0: Is that uh, you, you? Know I'm finding that like this past weekend I was home. I'm sure as as you were, but it's it is weird being there being present you really can't go anywhere but it's right. it's good I'm finding that it's good for me personally because I've been out every weekend for the last jillion years uh, right. like you have and it's just I, I think there's a good thing to this I mean you could take obviously the whole thing's bad but there are parts of it that are that are probably for the good.
1: I think so. I, you know, I, I said to my wife, if this is what retirement looks like, I, I would have to find another activity. I mean, uh, I, I couldn't imagine just golfing and doing yard work for the rest of my life <laughs> but, uh, to get involved maybe with a charity or something uh, to, you know, um, to occupy the time, but uh, it's, you know, I'm 64 years old and I can't, you know who Ken Davis is. Ken Davis just take yeah. uh, his drive by. Well, Ken is, 73 I think and he's my gauge on how long I have left uh, as far as working though. so he's he's still working he's at 73 so I'm figuring I got nine more years I'm I'm, I'm happy
0: you know so w- whenever he stops that'll be the gauge for when you actually that's it that's
1: all I'll tell my wife this is how much time we got before I'm home all the time and you gotta I gotta hide all the sharp objects that's all I know because she's gonna bury one in my chest its
0: you know, hey, we're point. taking We're taking questions for Jeff Allen. Jeff is hunkered down in a sequestered location in Nashville, (laughs) Tennessee. If you have a question for Jeff that you want to post, just post it on Facebook, ask it, and I'll do my best to get to it. And we'll find out what makes Jeff Allen tick. Someone wants to know, are you going to be headed to Indy anytime soon? Indianapolis.
1: Uh, I am. There's a a run I'm doing uh, that was canceled. It was scheduled, I think, for March. uh, From uh, Toledo to... um, Columbus to Indianapolis. Uh, I'm scheduled to, to uh, yeah, I am scheduled to Indianapolis. Everything's been rescheduled. Um, 90% of the dates that were canceled in March and April have been rescheduled for the summer. And just go to the website, JeffAllenComedy.com, and it'll be posted, all the change dates, and, um, and uh, you know, you can, social media, all the Facebook, and uh, I don't know anything about it.
0: Yeah. And not, another question that just came in, have you been able to write any new material since this whole virus and the lockdown?
1: Well, it's funny you say that, but no, not really. And it, I sat down in my office today for the first time and I told my wife, I said, i got to start thinking like a comedian again.
0: Uh,
1: <laughs> I've had my vacation. So uh, I just sat down today with a notebook and I'm jotting down some things. And, and I don't necessarily write things that have short shelf lives. And writing COVID-19 jokes, I think, would have a short shelf life. So I'll have a couple of things to say when I hit the stage, obviously. But uh, well, you, can
0: not, you can save those for COVID-20. 20.
1: Well, I survived COVID-1 through 18, so. Right.
0: <laughs> so what is your writing process? Do you just, is it something that pops into your head? Or do you, I mean, you're saying that you go into your office and you sit down to write. Is that, as a comedian myself, I I'm more of a, get on there and give it a shot and hope it works. But I know people that are able to sit down and be disciplined enough to write. That's, that's impressive to me.
1: That's not me. Uh, I, um, (laughs) okay. (laughs) I, yeah, we do probably similar. It's called coincidental comedy. Something happens. Then we talk about it. And, um, I, uh, I have been obviously. I'm not having a whole lot happen in my life these days. When you're right. you know, sitting on the couch, uh, binge watching Ozark, um, not, not a lot is going on in your life. So uh, I, I sit down and um, yeah, I'll 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 just start writing a journal. And um, it, 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 the 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 key for me is to just be thinking in terms of of, of what a comedian does. You know, if you. Mm-hmm. Even simple things like if you see a sign, you know you go oh, that's an odd looking sign, and then at least that's the start of something of the process right and um, actually, for the first time in my life, I'm looking for a writer uh, I have not um, ever used a writer before, but uh, because of social media and the exposure I've been getting, um, people are reaching out and saying, "Hey you got any new stuff? you got any new stuff right you know, I've been kind of living off the last thirty years of uh, stuff. that <laughs> So, um, so I, it,
0: I, I think people don't understand how difficult it is to generate really good material.
1: No, especially when you're a storyteller like I am. I mean, it, it yeah. starts with a line, you know, a, a one line. Uh, Tammy, I'll give you an example. Uh, on the new Dry Bar special, there's a joke that I do um, about getting my medical records back from the doctor. And uh, Tammy, said, Tammy takes the call, and, and I said, well, what did the doctor say about my health? And she said, uh, I'll paraphrase. If you were part of a wildebeest herd, the lines would be circling you right now. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that line came from her. Actually, she came home from the doctor. She just felt miserable, just miserable. And I uh, said, "You know, you don't look well." She says, "If I was part of a wildebeest herd, the lines would be circling me." <laughs> so immediately, <laughs> I wrote it down, and then I built a whole story around it, based on on me being the uh, the one that's out of shape. But uh, so anyway, that's kind of an insight to the process that I use. I try to build stories around <laughs> jokes.
0: Um, I worked with you years ago. I don't know. Do you remember this? I worked with you in Arizona. There was a club called Knucklehead, Knucklehead. Phoenix. Yeah. It was like, it was kind of near where the Phoenix Suns play. And it was like this kind of a shopping center. It, yeah.
1: I just did the improv there. And the uh, improv. Yeah. The same. Uh, no, they actually, they have one uh, room. Down where the old knuckleheads used to be in that area, in that shopping area there.
0: Right. That they was got the three first clubs now in
1: the Phoenix area.
0: That's a lot. I, yeah. I, I tell you, it was, uh, I remember working with you, it was years ago, and I worked, it was It was probably 90, it was a long time ago, 93, I'm old, 93, 94, I was something like that. Is yeah, that. I was living oh, Was you that were living the week that I got pneumonia? I, I know you weren't feeling well, but you killed. Holy smoke.
1: Yeah, we had. I remember there was one night that I I didn't know it, but I had walking pneumonia, and the last show Saturday night, the owner came over and I said I can't work, I can't I can't go on. I had a terrible feel. I was dripping sweat, and he says you got to do something. I can't you know send people home. So I said if you can keep people from heckling me for thirty minutes, I'll do it because once if I get interrupted and I got to right. restart, it ain't happening.
0: Right. So
1: anyway. I go up and I do thirty straight minutes. Keith, I, no lie, I'm walking off. My feet were squishing from the sweat. Uh-huh. And the next day, I went to one of those clinics, and they go, "You, you do know you have pneumonia right now, right?" Oh my <laughs> goodness! No- and,
0: but you you were living in Phoenix at the time. Yes. Okay. Oh, yeah. There's there's yeah. your place to go golfing right there.
1: Right. Yeah. My wife hated <laughs> Phoenix. Hated it. That first summer, we moved there in November, so the weather was great. Right perfect yeah it's perfect so by august i come home from the golf course one day in a monsoon rain and my beautiful wife was in the driveway with her arms open standing in this downpour and i roll the window down a crack i go what are you doing out here she says look it actually rains in this godforsaken place <laughs> and that was our first summer so we made six and, I- and then she said we're moving that was it so
0: Someone uh, asked the question, Deborah Anderson saying, Have you ever thought about pastoring?
1: Pastoring? Yeah. Uh you know, I did. I did. Uh early on in my walk with Christ. Um, I uh real and then I did a little research on it and the fact that you have to write a new sermon every week. Uh <laughs> I, I just can't do it. Ken Davis told me, Ken, Ken used to pastor every now and then fill in for our pastor at the church here in Nashville. Uh, and he said he took five sermons around for 30 years. Five sermons lasted 30 years. He burned them all over awesome. one year. At the <laughs> <laughs> he said, I don't know how they do it. I said, I don't either. So that that convinced me that I would be so, rather bored after, after so a week. So
0: if you were pastoring, how long is a how long is a pastor set? Like if you said you had to have a sermon, is that 10, 15, 20? No,
1: it's 30 to 45 minutes.
0: Ooh. And, uh, every week?
1: Illustration, illustration. Yeah. Every week. And uh, I, there's a formula. Cause I've tried to learn from some, I had a pastor tell me once that if he, he would mentor me if I ever wanted to do that. And I said, you know, I was trying to put a couple messages together. Cause I get asked periodically to do Sunday services for churches. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, do a little bit of comedy and then I share my story. And um, anyway, I thought it'd be nice to have a message, you know, biblically, foundationally biblical, you know. And um, anyway, it's just it's a process that it's not stand up, and I'm kind of into stand up, where stand up is always the brevity is the soul of wit. Right. So you're always trying to edit, 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 and when you're trying to do a 45 minute sermon every week, you're trying to add two. <laughs>
0: You know? right right or like, right or like
1: when you used to do an essay test you know you you just you'd bs for two paragraphs and then come to the answer you know?
0: so so when you passed her jeff did you go for the laughs too though i mean i can't i can't imagine yeah yeah
1: yeah i i can't um uh it's taking life that seriously you know right that's not what i was put here to do i guess
0: so Jeff, you've been watching TV. You said you, you binge watched Ozark. Yes, just did you, finished. Did, are you through it? Uh that was Yeah, ending. we did the uh,
1: we did the last episode last night.
0: Yeah. Oh uh, uh, what an I, the, the ending I'm not gonna spoil it for whoever has No, I it, know it's but funny. Though. It was it was a good ending though, different though. It shocked Tammy
1: me. uh Tammy has a um a test for a show. And where's the light? That's all she asks. We can handle all the darkness. We Uh just need to know where the light is. And we watched, we binge watched six seasons of Sons of Anarchy. And the seventh season was three months later, the last year. And in the opening episode, Jax, one of the characters, Uh takes a screwdriver and a hammer and pounds the screwdriver into some guy's head. And I paused the TV and I looked at Tammy. I go, I can't put up with another year of this. <laughs> you know, <laughs> when we were in it, we were steeped in it. We didn't even realize how stupidly violent it was.
0: Yeah, and, uh, yeah. Anyway,
1: we did We never did finish the seventh season. And I'm, I'm at that point with Ozark right now. Next year there has to be some, some light. There has to be some benefit. You know. Um, I agree with you. It bad, was dark yeah said so it was it was really dark uh i watched a season of breaking bad i couldn't watch it anymore uh being an alcoholic and a drug addict i it was too close to home and i just um uh tammy watched the whole thing my manager lenny watched the whole thing but uh i couldn't watch it i made a season of it but um uh, yeah i want to see some some redeeming qualities come out of somebody and uh we'll see how far they go next year with, with Ozark, but it's, it was, um, yeah, we watched all three seasons.
0: Well, I know sometimes you'll watch it. It's like, there's not a good person in this right. entire show. Everyone's, right. everyone's bad. Even the people that you want to like are not good people, but you have to like, right. And
1: you know, the, yeah. So it's, it's again, you're, when you're steeped in it and watching it, you just click on the next one. Cause what are you doing? You're not leaving. You know? I told Tammy, if I don't get back to work, I'm just going to grow a beard and uh, I'll probably have B.O., you know, I'm I, you know, bathing at some point.
0: You know say, I, find my, I find myself watching more TV now than I've ever watched in my life. When I was a kid growing up in Charleston, I mean, yeah. as, a, as a kid, right, you would watch Hee Han, you watch Lawrence Welk, you'd watch whatever all the sitcoms were. But, man, I don't do that at all except for now with this virus. I'm watching, I'm watching shows, Jeff, that I would never watch in my life. Right, my, man, yeah, my or... manager,
1: I used to call him all the time and go, uh, hey, did you watch this particular thing on Netflix? He'd go, I don't watch TV, man. And now he's calling me. Hey, man, I'm watching <laughs> NYPD Blue. I go, I mean, come on, man, this is from the 90s. I'm not watching that show. There's a lot of other things out there.
0: Right, well, Jeff, you alluded to uh, your life and, and some changes that have happened. You were, you were an alcoholic and, and doing drugs. Was there something... And if, if this is too much, you just tell me. But was there a moment that um, where you you thought, you know what, I need to make some real changes now, not the kind of temporary, I feel lousy, therefore I'll make a change, and you don't, you know, how right. you kind of fool yourself. Was there a moment that was significant?
1: Yeah, the bottom for me was when I laid hands on my baby. I spanked him, and um, uh, he was crying. He wouldn't stop crying, and I spanked him. I was drunk and angry, and Tammy – took him away from me and then uh, sat on the end of the bed and fed him. He was only six months old. And that was it for me. I, 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 I mean, when the reality it's the most sobering moment I ever had in the middle of a binge and uh, you know, of what it could have happened, what I could have done. Um, and um, uh, so the next day I went into a 12 step program and um, I've been there for 30 you know, we've been married almost thirty-four years. I think I'm thirty-three years come this September without a drink. But that was my bottom. Yeah.
0: That was it, huh? And then, and then, as far as uh, pastoring, when did all that start? Was well, that, eight was it years that? into that
1: walk, um, I still hadn't. I really hadn't settled in. I was not a poster point for the for the twelve step program. I, I'm uh, the reason it's an anonymous program. I really am. I was. I was in angry. <laughs> bitter jaded you know it was all i could do to keep things together enough to not wind up in jail and uh you know at one point i wanted to raise my children in a buddhist monk monastery because i i never heard of a buddhist monk having a road rage incident <laughs> <So> <laughs> i thought and took tammy about eight seconds to talk me out of it i think i said i'm going to put the boys in a buddhist monastery she said over my dead body and i go all right that's how convicted i was of it you know it's just but about eight years into it i met a uh, a christian man on the road and we developed a friendship and through that friendship um, i was attracted to his life just because of his um the way he lived his life he was just he was calm and you know and um anyway he put some bible tapes in my hands and after a while, I decided to listen to him, and uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the Bible, but Ecclesiastes uh, starts out meaningless, meaningless. All in life is meaningless. It's a, uh, it was an exhilarating verse for me to read at that point in my life. Um, I, if if you needed a word to describe the way I was for those eight years, it was nihilist. I couldn't find a point to anything. It didn't matter, you know. And I tried, believe me, you know. Who doesn't want to get up in the morning and and find purpose and meaning in their life. But, um, I just couldn't, um, you know, it would, it would dissipate. I would, I would have moments and, you know, but, um, you know, Tammy once said to me, you know, why can't, why can't we be your, your worth and your value? And I go, what if you get T-boned at a red light? I mean, you know, then what happens, uh, to that, uh, that foundation is gone, you know? So, for me, it was the Bible. And, uh, then eventually led to Christ. Uh, you know, my, my prayer was basically the same prayer of every day is that if you're, mm-hmm. if you're not who you say you are, then I'm a dead man, you know? Um, so.
0: Did the, uh, did those changes that you made, you feel like it's affected your comedy?
1: Well, it made it better. I wasn't so angry. I had, it's funny because, you know, the material as a comic, you understand, um, people ask when you cleaned up your show. Uh, I started cleaning up my show probably a year or two before I convert, you know, my, my faith conversion. Um, just because my kids were talking, you know, seven and eight year old kids were dropping swear words around the house. Yes. You know, I got called to school one day because my fourth grade son called his teacher an F and B uh, and <laughs> you know, yeah, you know, so I, I said to the teacher, you know, I really would love to look you in the eye with a straight face and tell you, I have no idea where that child heard that kind of language. But (laughs) uh, truth is we're trying to make some changes. And we were, we were trying to clean everything up around the house. And um, so as far as the comedy went, uh, the only thing that changed was I wasn't so angry. And it, um, you know, Tammy, I remember her coming to Phoenix. Remember the last laugh in Phoenix? Yes, uh-huh. I remember specifically one night she came out to watch a show and she left uh, halfway through the show and I met I saw her in the car, she was out there sobbing. Uh, she goes, "You just must hate me." I was so angry, so angry. So the the, the peace that comes with that relationship with Christ, that was the change. You know, the material didn't really change much. It was just how I delivered it, um, and it's uh, that is you know as much as I tried to because I knew I was alienating women in the audience by the way I was talking, I was so angry, you know, and um you know it just
0: uh, can I tell you that? Guys that
1: were coming you will know this. someone said you can judge your show by who comes over to you as a fan, and all the guys that were coming over to me after the show were, were on my fingers, so what does that tell you? you know they got the right. tank top on and the tats and the you know um, you know, yeah. And, uh, it just these are not guys that I wanted to hang with. Yeah. So that's who that's, I was connecting and with
0: at that time. And at that point you look at it and go, so these are my people. It's almost right. like a mirror. It's a mirror in, right. in, in a way. It's a mirror as to who you are or who they think you are. Right. And then you immediately put that on yourself. You go, I can't do this. I can't. Yeah. I will tell you this. You're angry. Uh When I worked with you, I don't know if that was before or after, but man, you were funny, man. I, when when, when yeah. we lined this taping up, it was like I told everyone, I said, this is the dude. This is oh. the real deal right here because I'll, I'll, I'll never forget how you crushed it. And that was early 90s, and that was when I was new, so I thought I was funnier than everybody. You know how when you're new, you think right. you're better than everybody. So I was in that, and it was like, oh, my gosh, watching you at that knucklehead's oh, <laughs> that's great. Thank you. Was fan- was absolutely fantastic.
1: Yeah, that, that that period was an interesting period because it was all about um, internal. You know, I, I don't know, was I sitting on a stool at that time?
0: Not that I recall, no.
1: Yeah, there was a period when I quit drinking back in 87 that I sat on a stool. That's it. I never left the stool. I couldn't stand up in front of a room. And there was one night I was so introspective. I'm at a hockey rink in Grand Rapids, Michigan. For um, uh, Keith, um, oh, I, I just the name just left me. Anyway, I'm sitting in a hockey rink at, at 1130 at night on a Saturday on a stool, and I'm staring at the floor. And I mean, there's a room full of people, like 400 people. It was packed. Right. And I'm staring at the floor, and I says, why are you here? What's the, Why are you guys here tonight? And from the back of the room, I mean, you could hear a pin drop. Right. And uh, some woman's squeaky little voice goes, we just want some jokes. <laughs> <laughs> and I go, well, it is a comedy club. That's reasonable. <laughs> so anyway, I did. I I finished the show and had a good time. But it was, I mean, that was, I, I, I was waiting for some club owner to just come up and punch me in the face. You know, just
0: snap out of it. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting. I, I'll talk to comedians a lot. And, you know, you've been around for longer than me. But. I'll tell people, if you ask a, a comedian, because a lot of them try to go, look, they can do whatever they want. I don't really, really care. But I tell them, I said, if you ask this audience why they're here, like, why? why did Because because you? I know you think you're not you, but I'm talking about in general. Yeah. I said, you may think you're changing the world or going to change their viewpoints on this or that. But I can tell you when it gets down to it, when you ask the people that are in the showroom, why are you here? They said to laugh. to have a good time, to get out of the house. That's it. Not this other stuff that some comics want to bring to the party. It's like, no, I just came to laugh and have a good time and have some nachos.
1: Well, it's funny you say that because I was just writing in a journal yesterday. Um, I think I'm going to post this within the next week called A Little Perspective and Why I Don't Do Politics. And that's really the reason. I, I did a bunch of social commentary in the 90s and i realized that we tend to seek externally what we feel internally right so when i was full of all that anger it's it's the best thing to focus on is politics because you can justify all the anger inside of you because they won't do what i want them to do or they won't do what you know you know and that to me is the the shallowest form of of um i don't want to say debate but for me it was it was an empty an empty vessel to carry comedy because all i had was opinions and they were angry opinions and they were the wrong ones for comedy clubs because they were a little right of center <laughs> so right. you know. oh yeah. yeah
0: but i was just a, so angry it didn't matter
1: <laughs> i just i just was screaming so anyway i was doing a show for a uh Uh, I was speaking at one of the 12-step meetings in uh, San Francisco. I don't know if you remember a guy named Michael Pritchard. Yes. But uh, it's interesting to me. God puts people in my life briefly. And Pritchard was one of those guys. I never met him again. I was was a fan of his work. And he's one of the kindest, gentlest souls I happened to meet at that time. And anyway, I was sitting backstage waiting to go on and speak through my uh, story. And uh, he says, man, you don't look happy. I go, I'm never happy, man. You know, and he said, uh, what's wrong?" I said, "I don't know, man, I really don't. I just you know I got again, the world tells you you know if you if you do the checklist, you got a beautiful wife, your kids are healthy, you know got a job you love, I mean, go down the checklist, so I don't understand anyway. He says, How much news do you watch now this was the early nineties, so I you know there was c n n that was it, right. so I go news I, I' not much seven, eight hours a day." <laughs> you know? I never, I never left the room. I just sat and watched it on a continual loop. The same news over and over again. And I seethed at the world. So anyway, he said, here, let me tell you a story. And I said, uh, all right, man. So he goes, he was in South America. And he just happened to be doing some corporate thing in South America. And the Pope was there. So he's Catholic. So he says, hey, man, who doesn't want to see the Pope? So he goes out to where the Pope is. And he said, probably a quarter of a million people. And at one point, the Pope says, let's all pray. So you got 250,000 people on their knees praying. Now, Pritchard said it was one of the most profound spiritual experiences of his life. He goes back to the hotel room that night, and CNN covered the event, and all they covered were the protesters. They glossed over the quarter of a million people praying and showed the protesters and how angry they were at the Pope. And he said, I realized at that point that news is a myopic view of the world. And it's basically the news director that determines what we see. So he said, take it with a grain of salt. Don't watch so much of the news. And I got to tell you, I stopped really watching a lot of news. I'm, I'm up on things. I, I, I do read things. Right. But it, it doesn't run my life anymore. And, um, and it was probably three or four years after that that that, that conversation really hit home. Because I, I, I was on stage railing against the the culture. And in, in my own mind, I thought, yeah, I'm changing things. But you're not. Anybody who goes into a comedy club, here's a comedian making a, a crack about whatever party, Democrat, Republican, in the whatever, and walks away with their mind changed. They weren't really convicted to whatever they believed in. <laughs> oh, no. I mean, oh, I never looked at it that way. You know, so... I understand that my job—I'm a distraction. I want to be a distraction. I want everybody to come in—Democrats, Republicans, Independents—not have to worry about having any of their sacred cows uh, mm-hmm. kicked over and knocked down because of a, of a snide remark that I have to make. And believe me, I have You know, and I know how <laughs> I feel when people make you know uh, sophomoric remarks about things I hold sacred. Right, you know? right. And it's not drawing me into your camp. That's for sure. You know, and I made the last Twitter remark I made was years ago. I'll never forget this because somebody posted on my feed that the NRA was responsible for Sandy Hook. So all I wrote back was, you'll have to connect those dots for me. And I got inundated with, you know, these ad hominem attacks for like a week. They called me every name in the book, you know, and I waited a week and then I wrote back. Still waiting for those dots to get connected, <laughs> <laughs> and within eight seconds, my manager texts me, "Stop it! That's it. Stop it!" Really? Because you're gonna lose corporate work because of this. And he's right, you know. Yeah. People, they—if the corporation hires me and they don't do their homework, that's on them. But if they do their homework, I don't want them to go through my feed. You know, I I always look at these college students who are on YouTube screaming at the top of their lungs at people, and I'm going, who's going to hire this person? (laughs) She'd she'd be great in our lunchroom, wouldn't she? (laughs) Yeah, let's bring her into the fold.
0: (laughs) If you have a question for Jeff Allen, type it on your Facebook page right now. Jeff Allen, one of the funniest dudes out there. Who, Who do you like, Jeff? Is there someone you like comedically right now that you go, did these maybe oh, two or three people? You know,
1: it's funny. I got away from it for years. Um, I, you know, I don't know why. I just stopped watching comedy. And, uh, boy, uh, Brian Regan was always one of my favorites. Uh, yeah. Going back to New York when we lived there. I was in uh, um, Catch a Rising Star when he did his first showcase for Letterman. And he blew the doors off the place, man. Just yeah. went up and blew it out. And I saw him maybe a week later, we were hanging out at the club, and I said, so when are you doing the show? He goes, they didn't take it. And that's when I went home and told my wife, well, we might as well move because I can't <laughs> do a better set than that. <laughs> I was only there to do the Letterman show. And wow. uh, anyway, probably a month or two later, he, he was on the show, and then everything just took off for him. But uh, he was always one of my favorites, and uh boy, you know Ross Bennett. I love Ross. I, I love his, horror, his comedy. Um, and then uh, on the dirty side, uh, I guess you know uh, Bill Burr is one of my favorites. I love yeah. Burr. I lived in Boston for two years, so I love their attitude. I I'd still live in Boston. If I if I you know I would have died if I stayed there uh, from drugs <laughs> and alcohol. But, uh, uh, other than that, I, I love the city of Boston.
0: Um, do you have an embarrassing moment? That's one of the questions that someone just posted. What's your, Do you have an embarrassing moment on stage?
1: Oh, sure. I, too many to mention, but probably one of the most, the, the one that changed me. I was in Portland, Oregon, and uh, this was in my political phase, and I went off on uh, the current president at the time was Bill Clinton.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, the IRS, I was on my third audit. My wife was leaving me. I mean, i am just giving you some context to to why my attitude might have been a little sour. (laughs) (laughs) And I went off. I mean, I went off on taxes and government, you know, and um, some little old lady in the front says, why don't you shut up? And I went off on this poor little old lady, just went off on her and half the room got up and left and the owner of the club is the only time in my entire career. The owner of the club got on the offstage, mic and said, leave the stage, Jeff, you're done. And wow. uh, I walked off to a standing ovation from the other half of the room that stayed. <laughs> that's, that's America. I walked out to the lobby and this little old lady walked over to me and indicted me. She put her finger on my forehead. She said, young man, You are rotten from the tip of your head. And she touched my toes to the tip of your toes. You are a rotten human. And uh, that just cut me. You know, at the time, my pride wouldn't let me. But I went back to my room that night. And I remember the owner was paying me. He goes, are you drinking again? And I go, no. But, you know, he says, yeah, Um, he was going to take all of that money out of my pay. And I said, uh, if I was drinking, I'd have been over the desk on your throat. For taking the money out of my pay. <laughs> so wow but uh, wow. yeah that was uh you know a uh, uh, humiliating uh, but again I heard her I really did I heard what she had to say and um, I was flying home that that I, I said I really need to make some changes
0: you know wow and that's not easy to do is make those changes especially when you feel like you're if you if in your mind, cause the early nineties, I remember there was a comedy scene that seemed to be very political and that was the way to go. And if you didn't do that, then what are you saying? You're not talking to the audience. And then right. there was this, there was this, I, I remember that specific time and, and it was, you know, Hicks and all that kind of stuff. And there was a lot of people, not that he's not a, wasn't a great comic, but there were a lot of people trying to emulate that. So there was a lot of that out there. I remember at that time.
1: Yeah, there wasn't, the political correctness was really just kind of getting a foothold. Uh, so at least there were, there weren't any sacred cows. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's funny, my my wife asked me a question uh, Saturday night and something, and she said, uh, are there any sacred cows? And co-? I said, yeah, the, the political correctness. Now, I, I, I think that the twenties these next decade of comedy, you're going to see a breakout. I think people are tired of the political correctness and they're tired of the cancel culture. Uh, the punishment for people who have uh, stepped on the toes of people on Twitter, um, has far exceeded the crimes, uh, uh, no doubt by, by based on by fair-minded people. You know, there are people out there that are so bitter that they just love the fact that people's lives are destroyed. Um, for uh, there doesn't even have to be a reason. They're just happy that because those people have different beliefs, they're just happy that their lives have been destroyed. And uh, you know, but I think you're going to see. I think Ricky Gervais really threw the gauntlet down when he went after his own. Yeah, that was really kind of cool. I, I I told Tammy I played it over and over again. I go, that is so cool to have someone go after their own tribe, you know, like that.
0: That was yeah, pretty. that was pretty funny. That's when he did the Golden Globe Awards this year? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was really funny. And you're right. I mean, his side, the Hollywood, I mean, they didn't like no, it. No! Like at all. They and were. he's kind of, uh, I'm not going to say he's untouchable, but it doesn't seem to affect what he has going.
1: Well, he's untouchable because he's got all the money he needs to get through life. I mean, he really does. I mean, right. You know, when you create The Office, uh, I think you know, yeah. you're, you're pretty solid and uh it would be um almost hypocritical because he went after the other side for so many times that you if you can't if you can't take it don't dish it out so and it's interesting because i watched him and i was waiting for the religious cracks i was waiting for the the usual fare, and uh it didn't come and i thought that's pretty cool yeah
0: yeah that was uh yeah, I agree with that 100%. If you have a question for Jeff Allen, send it to us right now. Holy smokes. Um, oh, someone just oh, – wait a second. That's not it at all. That, that was something else. <laughs> I just I almost, I almost read a text message that was coming my way. I guess I should have uh, Do Not Disturbed on my phone. Yeah. <laughs> Going. Um, so is that your office? Is that where you do all the creativity? Is that where it all happens, all the magic right there? The this is it. Uh, I don't know
1: if you can see Dave behind me. Let me see if I can raise up the camera there. Dave, my minion Dave.
0: Oh, there you go. Okay. Yeah,
1: there, there's Dave. And uh, the last nine copies of a book I wrote 20 years ago. So there were only 12 copies in print. So.
0: <laughs> Very cool. I followed
1: Randy Travis once at the prayer breakfast in DC. I had to follow him. And I said, I always like following people who have sold 60, 70 million records. (laughs) I've sold 60 all on eBay and I bid on 40 of them myself. So (laughs) do
0: you open for a lot of music acts? Have you done? I, uh, I, uh,
1: I did. I toured seven years with Bill Gaither, uh, singer. And, um, I, uh, now, i was offered zz top once i was working a club in memphis and somebody approached me and said hey uh zz's doing an afternoon concert you'll be back here in plenty of time for your show what would you charge and i said 10 grand and they said uh we'll give you 100 bucks <laughs> i said i don't think we'll get i don't think we'll hit a halfway point point." and he goes but you could use the credit i said you know what I think I could put eye open for ZZ Top on my resume. They're not going to call me up and complain.
0: <laughs> you know, I was in Sacramento uh, years ago on doing one of the clubs there, the Punchline, actually. I was doing the Punchline in Sacramento. And I did a radio show, you know, to promote the, my upcoming comedy shows. And the people at this radio station were behind a concert. And they said, hey, you'd be great. You should open for the, it was salt and Peppa you know salt and pepper so I I go really they go oh yeah there's 10,000 people salt and pepper you're going to be great you want to do it and I go yeah why not and it was an afternoon gig so it was like a Saturday afternoon kind of an outdoor festival and uh it was 200 bucks and a concert t-shirt and I go I'm in let's do this thing oh man the concert t-shirt oh I tanked it (laughs) so bad it was horrible I it, it was the worst. I got booed on the way to the stage. I was right. I was walking out, and then when they saw this gentleman, they wanted nothing of it. It, right. it was it, it was horrible, and I couldn't wait to get back on stage that night because I had two more shows that Saturday night to kind of cleanse the right. palate and get get over the disaster because it was it, opening for music isn't easy. It, it, some are good, but not that for me. That was Did
1: you crazy. ever hear Albert Brooks's bit on that? No. Get a chance. I'm sure it's on YouTube. It's a classic, you know. Ladies and gentlemen, are you ready for it? It's, ah. But first, <laughs> Albert Brooks. You know, and the funniest thing about that was Tammy and I were coming back from a show in Boston years ago, and uh-huh. uh, we had got into an argument in the car. And I'm sure you've been there. It's awful quiet in the car, uh-huh. and the radio was on. And for whatever reason, the DJ decided to play that routine. And uh, I just started laughing. And she looks at me, but she just glares at me. And I go, come on, that's funny. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but uh, it's a classic thing. Albert Brooks, uh, I don't know, opening for a a rock band. I I don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But first. That that was, I will never forget that moment. I think most comics remember the... uh, the stuff that doesn't go well. I think Uh, that's what I remember. You You could ask me, what was your worst experience? And I got 50 of them. And then what's your best experience? I have two, maybe, you know,
1: (laughs) you just remember the bad, because you you get, I get that a lot. You know, did you ever bomb? I go, yeah, for like five years, you know? And I said, you're not a comic until you bomb. I mean, you're not a boxer until you get punched in the face. Mm-hmm. You know, you can walk out and win every fight, never get hit. You're not a boxer yet. You got to know if you can take a punch, you know, uh, and it's the same as a comedian. You got to, you got to bomb and humiliate yourself to decide if this is what you want to do. And uh, once you get over the, the, the humiliation of, you know, a room full of strangers calling you every name in the book, uh, then, you know, then you realize, you know, life doesn't come to an end and uh, the good nights are way outweigh the, uh, the bad nights. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and, it's really and that's what
0: comes. yeah I think that's what keeps you in it is it's almost like golf that one shot you know it gets next to the pin you think you know what I think I got golf figured out and I think comedys similar to that if you got if you have those moments that are positive it'll greatly right. outweigh all the tough the bad the the horrible the silence yeah. <laughs> of an audience yeah.
1: <laughs> and I'm lucky today because of the internet. Um, people who hire me are familiar with what I do, and if they have an inkling of what their audience might like, it's usually a good fit. So, right uh, to me, if I bomb at a corporate show, it's on the people who hired me.
0: Because, <laughs> That's <right. you> know, <laughs> yeah. Well, his name is Jeff Allen. Jeff, uh, let's wrap this baby up. Tell the people how to get a hold of you. I'm obviously, your website.
1: Yeah, jeffallencomedy.com dot com, and then uh, go to the fan page on Facebook. Uh, Saturday night. Tammy and I will be doing an interview of Russ and Tori Taff, uh, the singer Russ Taff, Grammy Award winner, and uh, just one of the coolest guys I know. Um, And uh, him him and his wife uh, have agreed to come on and let us interview him. Uh, We're we're tired of of talking to ourselves. So (laughs) I texted this morning. I said, look, uh, Tammy's tired of talking to me, so I need to talk to somebody.
0: (laughs) So Jeff, as far as your dates that you, uh, had to postpone, are, are those dates, are, are you rebooking those now? They're all rescheduled, on your
1: all of them. And, uh, there were a lot, um, March and April were pretty packed for me. And, um, I, I just got, somebody reached out today and said, are you, are you coming to, um, are you still coming to Raleigh? And Raleigh was almost a sold out show. So, uh, yeah, Raleigh, I think is in June and, um, everything's been rescheduled. If they just go to the website, jeffelencomedy.com, um, and we do post on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, uh, my calendar, um, a, a, a couple of months out. Gerald uh, mm-hmm. post those things. So,
0: Very uh, cool. Yeah. JeffAllenComedy.com is the name of the website. Check him out for updates, new dates uh, with this whole virus situation. Uh, yeah. Send my best to Tammy. And Jeff, It's great catching up with you again. I really do appreciate it. Yeah, Keith, it was time. a
1: blast, man.
0: All right, take care. Have a great one. Bless you guys. Bye-bye.